Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. I am a robot. <laughs> yes. Finally, it's not me that's a robot. Hello, Mel. Hi. How Doth it go? Oh, bad. Oh. <laughs> it's bad. So should we talk about you first or me first? I, I, I don't know. Let's talk about you first because, yeah, let's do it. Guys, when you become a widow and you consciously let people into your inner circle, it's really hard when you're not able to trust them and I know I'm being very vague usually I don't like to talk about personal stuff as I'm going through it as it relates to other people like I'm better at in hindsight at talking about it so apologies for the vagueness but I I feel like when we let somebody in and let them get close to us after we've had this death I mean even even before death this is hard but after death it's like if you let somebody in, like, they better show up. And if they don't show up, it's kind of extra hard. Kind of like a second loss. Another kind of a death. Do you know what I'm saying, Anita? Kind of? I do. It's it's like your foundation has been made unsteady. And so when you pull other people in, you can't really deal with anything else that's not steady. You need other people to kind of steady you until you kind of find your feet again. Mm -hmm. So... 
maybe before you had that loss, you have that type of interaction with people, but it's okay because your footing is solid and you're like, all right, well, bye or whatever, or you're disappointed or you're sad and it's hard. It's always hard. It's never easy to be let down or whatever. But when you're, when you're not on solid ground, it's hard. It's harder to deal with those types of situations. Yeah. And especially since my dad died, there's just, I, I'm, that's too much. Like my brain has just had too much. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's for somebody that's not gone through intense grief and close personal loss like we have, they may think, oh, well, you had four years and then your dad died. Like Scott died and then your dad died four years later. Like that should have been a significant amount of time where you should have healed just fine. Mm-hmm. And so then you're okay to re-grieve when your dad dies. And it's not true. It's been like I've needed five more years, I feel like, to even just have like kind of some footing. So dealing with two deaths in widow terms close together and then at the same time having a person that you've consciously let in to your inner circle that's not been there that's said that they would be this is so vague and stupid i know but i think people understand yeah they know i'm sure i mean in the widow wives club i would probably feel more comfortable talking about it but not right now like on the podcast so maybe more in hindsight later as things go on but um yeah i would say i for sure have trust issues and there are a very 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 small group of people that i trust and then i I'm kind of beating myself up. I know it's not my fault, but I'm mad that I made a choice to let somebody in to my safe zone and it ended up not being safe. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm feeling. I've not been okay. I'm really glad for Clonopin. Um I've been making a lot of content for my piano stuff and <laughs> for the meditation music channels, which... I kind of go into like hyperdrive overdrive zones with those because I'm like, well, if I'm going to be a disaster, maybe this will help other people. And then I get in this zone of like, well, I got to get out everything so that when it's my time to die, everything that I've ever created is out there and helpful to people. And maybe somebody else can be helped. So that's how it's going for me. I'm not feeling so great, but there you go. How about you? Or do you want to talk about anything that I just said that seems just so weird? I just, I'm sorry, Mel, that you're going through that. I think it's really hard. And and the sad thing is, is that we don't ever want to shut ourselves off from new experiences, new relationships, new explorations, new things like that. Um, But it's hard when you have experienced loss after loss after loss. And even death is feels like a betrayal of a sort to our, you know, our animal brain, even though like they didn't choose to die in your case. Sometimes that does happen, but it feels like a betrayal to your, your mind. And you think, well, I can't trust anything because they're going to leave whether or not by choice. And so then when that happens again and again, it's like the evidence is building up, but I still think Mel that you should not close yourself off to the entire world. But don't yet. you think I'm doing so good at making videos? <laughs> I think you're fine where you are right now. I'm not saying 
I'm not saying you need to like venture out and, and go meet new people right now. I'm just saying in the future, it, you know, things might change. So. I mean, it even makes me not want to go to the roller skate park and roller skate. Mm-hmm. Like I feel very closed in right now. And I know that's not going to always be that way, but I'm just feeling yeah. protective of myself. The other thing like this, well, what I wanted to say is in, in the scenario that is so vague I'm talking about, there is also mental illness. That's a factor. And that just puts a lot of tricky things in into the scenario as well. Um, but also, do you guys notice this? I noticed this when Scott died. I noticed it when dad died. When, when people tell you that they will be there and then they're not, I, I don't, I can't really get over it. I mean, I haven't, I haven't yet. It's a deep hurt. That's yeah. a that's a deep deep hurt. Yeah, I, I my brain puts it in be- the betrayal zone, mm-hmm. and I've gone yeah, from and- like three strikes you're out to two strikes you're out. Like no way, you've shown me your pattern at two. <laughs> One strike, you're out. That's like t ball or something. Yeah, we're at, we're at coach pitch now, guys. Yeah. Mm. So I, I don't know any grief civilians that are listening to this. If you say you're gonna be there. Or if you say, I'm going to check on you, please do it. When you Put say a reminder it, in your phone, if you can't remember. It's one thing if you just don't. It's another thing if you say you will. It gets mm-hmm. our, our hopes into a place where we think, oh, good, there's somebody that's rooting for me that, that I can reach out to. And then we remember those people that say that. And we extra remember when they don't. So, but also that sounds kind of scary. Um, and yeah, it's like, oh, but if you, and if that's been you, it still is helpful to reach out. Even if it's, you've thought you've let the time lapsed too long. That's better than nothing. It sounded very Liam Neeson-esque. Well, I mean, were saying that he is a widower. So I that's feel true. like mm-hmm. I get him. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, Mel, on the flip side of your horrible week, I had a good week. So I feel like we can we can balance each other out. Okay, good. This well, week. That's why I wasn't sure if you should go first cuz someone know, just tuning know. in is going to be like, "Who is that girl <laughs> complaining?" <laughs> that's Mel. Hopefully, everybody. usually usually I'm not as complaining. Yeah. But whatever. Hard, this is hard week. Well, and also, like, Father's Day is coming up. I recognize that. And I'm like, oh, great. <sighs> really? Here's another one. But let's talk about your good week, please. Yeah, the Father's Day thing. I opened up, you know, my web browser to look at a shop site. And it was like, Father's Day gift, Father's Day gift, scroll, 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 scroll. Father's Day gift, Father's Day gift. I was like, I'm going to stab my phone. I'm going to throw it across the room. I don't need to see Father's Day gifts right now, guys. <laughs> Get him a belt. Get him a credit card weapon thing. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> what? You've seen those, like, the credit cards that, like, fold out. And they're like a, they're like a screw, I don't know, a screwdriver and a can oh. opener. and. Oh, it's, is it like a Chinese death star that you can throw <laughs> that's a wallet? Here, let me throw you my credit cards. Go scan Please me. tell me that somebody knows what I'm talking about and that I don't sound like an absolute crazy person. Um, so I want to tell you a story, Mel. And why it made my heart happy. Are you ready? Yeah, I would love to hear it. So my little sister, whose name is also Melanie, confusing, she lives in Texas. And she texted me and said, hey, do you guys want to come down to Texas during the summer 
for a family vacation. And and we didn't have any family vacation plans um, for this summer. Just haven't really thought of it. And as the kids get older, they have a lot more activities. It's harder to find a chunk of time that you can go on a real family vacation. And we're going to Australia. So anyway, um, so I was talking to her about that. And I was looking at flights and trying to see if there was a time. And in the back of my head was my kid's telling me that they really, really wanted to go to this weird place in Las Vegas called Omega Mart. (laughs) So weird. So I was talking to my little sister. I started searching for flights to Las Vegas instead of to Texas. And they had some pretty cheap flights um, over the weekend. And so I bought flights for us to go to Las Vegas. And I said to Melanie, I just bought tickets. And she's like, great. When are you coming? I said, to Las Vegas. And she was like, what? (laughs) That's not what we were talking about. So I told her the backstory. I said, you know, my kids really want to go here. And so when I saw the ticket prices, I just jumped. And the thing that she said to me was, that's my Anita. And I was like, it made my heart happy because I feel like I haven't been myself for three years. Um, I feel like I've been a whole different person and this is like an uncovering of who I am. I've always been really spontaneous. It's always been like, Hey, let's go do this thing. Let's just go right now. Let's back up the car. Here we go. And I always had Jason, I would tell him my plan and he would be like, are you kidding me? And then he would pack up the car and we would go. Right. So I always had him to, to have, have my back and to, play along with whatever my crazy schemes were. Now, often I had to convince him that it wasn't a terrible idea. Sometimes he tried to be like a reasonable adult. Um, But I haven't felt like that was a possibility for me to do that on my own. And extra specially hard was feeling like that would never happen again. So when I did it, and I didn't even recognize that I was doing it, and my sister was like, Anita, like, here you are. It was like, I am. Like, here I am. And it's different. And it's still super, it's way hard. It's still not easy. But it feels like this little ray of hope and sunshine in my progression after after Jason died. So I took the kids. We went through the airport. I wore my dead husband shirt. Yes, I sure did. <laughs> um, and it was like... We did a good job and and we've done this a few times and I think part of it is just my kids are getting older. But part of it is also that I've done it a few times. I've showed myself we can do it, that the worst is that people give us dirty looks in the airport or whatever, you know. And uh, we made it and had a fun time. And Las Vegas is so gross. Ugh. But Omega (laughs) Mart is weird and my kids absolutely loved it. So that's my happy story, Mel. Anita, I am so glad to hear you say that you are starting to recognize yourself again. Yeah. That's so great. That's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. And it it took somebody else actually to recognize it because I wasn't, I didn't recognize it. But when she said that, I was like, you're right. Yes. Yay. Yeah. So. Yay. uh, That was my, that's my happy report. And um, I spent about a million dollars in Las Vegas and I wasn't even gambling, but kids have to eat. Well, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad you made it safely and you had a good time and are back now. Yes. And ready for the summer to continue and with its craziness. And maybe we'll go to Texas and maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll have to see. But uh, Mel, this weekend, 
we have something coming up. We do, you guys. It's the Zoom Hangs. It's the second Saturday already. So I know. Weird. I know. So the first one is at 12 p.m. Mountain. What is it? Mountain what? Just mountain time. Ugh. Let's just go mountain time. Okay. Guys, not a Debbie Downer who is the best. She is going to be heading up the first session. And Kelly Ford, our BFF, is going to be heading up the 6 p.m. session. Now, that's probably a different time zone than you're in, unless you're in the mountain time zone. So, check the Widow Wives Club events tab or and the app. Remember that we have an app. Get the app in the app store. It's under calendar. Links are there. It will change the time for you based on your time zone. So you don't even have to think about it. There you go. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. do it it's a no-brainer uh hopefully a lot of people can make it this weekend summer is always crazy with people going to and fro i think kelly is actually going to be camping <laughs> as she does this so hopefully that will all work out and thank you so much to the people who um help out with our zoom hangs we couldn't do it without you yes so. thank you thank you it'll be tbd if i can come to some of them because my my um, a significant piano teacher in my life, my formative piano years, has died. She was a great lady. So they're asking oh. her former students to come and help participate and do a bunch of things. So I haven't decided if I'm feeling up to doing that yet. So TBD on if I'll be there. But thank you so much, Deb and Kelly. Guys, come. It's it's fun or sad and happy. It's whatever it needs to be. And everybody has said that it helps them find a place of community. If you don't feel like talking, you can just sit there and like be quiet and it's cool. It's, nobody cares. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you want to come and hang out with other people like yourself, come join us in the Widow Wives Club. It's a private Facebook group. It's really amazing. We love the people in there. Just make sure you answer all the questions so that we can protect the people in there from scammers and weirdos. Although mm -hmm. if you're like, cool weird that's fine but if you're like Ew, weird then that's not fine yeah also can we say happy pride month to all of our friends we can yes <laughs> today in salt lake city there was the pride parade that's right um i posted a reel about <laughs> pride and you guys i got like 20 bot spam replies <laughs> it was so bad it, it was really disheartening actually i was like this is about cups, you know, like cups don't have feelings. I'm like, the youth of today, if they posted something like that and got all of that, that would be really hard to deal with. Like, ew, gross, like bad words. And yeah, 
yeah just terrible weird so i was thankful that some humans actually commented That's on the cups another another mark on the page for watch out for scammers because that is also a scam thing yeah people totally. suck all right, Mel, if the people want to keep the podcast going, what should they do? They should go to patreon.com slash WWDN, and they have the option of joining our Patreon at four levels. Now, at the $10 level a month and up, you get access to ad-free episodes, and above that, you get a whole bunch of stuff. Behind-the-scenes content, exclusive merchandise, question-and-answer... You'll see when you go to the page. So again, patreon.com slash WWDN. It's also in the app. So get the app. It's easy. Or if you don't want to do that. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And we will take ourselves to eat some tacos. And we just did that. Thank you. Those who contribute to that. <laughs> yes. And if none of those things work, will you please just give us a rating and review? It really helps new people find the podcast when they need to find it. And it really helps me feel better about myself, too. I'm just going to be honest. It helps us to know that all the hours we put in make a difference. Now, one of the benefits you get back to the Patreon thing, if you are at Widow Bestie and up, is a shout out in episode. And today we're going to be doing something different because what? I, yeah, because I am in, I'm in the tech mode. We are going to have Chipmunk Patreon shoutouts. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're welcome. I'm just finding out about this right now, guys. Yeah, you guys, I never tell her anything. I just surprise her. It's fine. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Viva Las Widows! Viva Las Widows! That's all. <laughs> Constance Talbabek. David Kelly, Don on Saturday, right? right? Thank you for the note and the tacos. Gail Bell, I've been the Meisner. Cat. Krista Waite. Maya Glasser, Fanfin Lyson. Amber Vela. Amy Hartman Martell, it's her episode today. Mm-mm. Amy Neal. Amy Sapp. Ashley Hong. Barbara Schneebelga. Brittany Pedro. Chris Stephan. Christina Shiflett. Cindy Wilkerson. Danielle Catterberg. Nada Debbie Downer. Dennis Brazo. Jean Marie Massey. Jenny Taylor. Jennifer Beale. Jennifer Brown. Jennifer E. Hassel. Jenny Wang. Carol Schultz. Oh, Welcome. hi, Carol. Kelly Ford. Kirsten Stromberg Clausen. Judy Malkin. Laura Aguirre Penner. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Sorry. And correct me if I'm wrong. Lauren Old. Leslie Webb. Lou Clausen talks to crows. <laughs> Andy Marie Hoffman. Mary Catherine Anderson. Patricia Weist. Rachel Barbosa. Sarah the Morris. Sylvia Shore. Taylor Snyder. Karen Cornejo. Vicky Spitt. Anna Tracy. Christina Scambato. Christine Anderson. Cindy Raynaud. This is going to be so great because Anita's kids are screaming in the background. <laughs> Chipmunk style. <laughs> Don Barber. I love it. Debbie Fells. Deborah Westwood. Diana Becker. Emily Toledo. Erica Thunder Mulan. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Gia Benoit. Gina Haas. Ian Cini. Ariana Bella Louise. Jackie Coyle. The Jane. Jenny Armstrong. Jenny Barrow. 
Jocelyn Milo, Julie Stevenson, Karina Jacobo, Kathy Murray, Katie Radcliffe, Camera Ross, Camera, Kevin Ferry, Chris Morgan, Laura Bradbury, Laura Keeley. Yes, <laughs> Lindsay Kanaka, Lloyd Farrington, Marjorie Lewis, Mary Lee McGowan, Megan Montague, Melissa Bowers, Melissa Hancock, our daughter Missy Schubert, Aw, Piero Gavina, Becky the Zebra, Robin Flam, welcome, Sarah Kennedy, Stacy Sayward, Sunshine and Haven. Tammy Tara Vest. Tara Wallace. Next, we have Detective Valerie Packer. <laughs> and next, we have Feather Boa Wendy. Thank you, everybody who supports us on the Patreon. You guys really help to make it possible to keep the podcast going. Yep, we love you. Thank you so much. We could not do this without you. <sighs> Mel, should we, should we do the episode? Yeah, you guys, you guys, you guys. We love Amy so much. You're going to love her too. This was such a fun interview. And we know that you are just going to feel light in your soul. Laugh, cry, skate, paint. I don't know. All the things. Excellent. Well, let's do it. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We are two young widows. We're the yin and yang this week of widowhood. And we're trying to figure out. My kids are screaming so much in the background. I can hear them. I just heard them like, Mom, is recording. And we're just trying to figure out widow. We do now. This episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. We've been waiting for this day for quite some time, Mel. (laughs) It's true, quite some time, and I'm so excited because this is one of our friends that is so much fun. I can't even handle, like, sitting still right now. Can you hear me, like, shaking? (laughs) She's shaking with excitement. Today, we have with us Amy Hartman Martell. Hi, Amy. Hello. I'm so excited, too. I've been waiting for this forever also, and... I can't wait. We almost couldn't even start recording because Mel and Amy just had to talk about roller skating a lot. They were like, oh, and this and this and this and you need this kind of thing. And I have these laces and this kind of wheels. And and uh, finally, we we started recording, though. Yeah. So everybody, you've heard me a lot talk about our friend Amy, who is my roller skating muse, who, who got me back into roller skating. This is her in the digital. I am here. And you've already surpassed me like in spades in your roller skating prowess. I just went back on my wheels this week after a very long hiatus and I feel dumb, but I'm having fun. But I loosened my I loosened my trucks yesterday. I'm so proud of myself. I finally like bit the bullet. What's a truck? Explain what the trucks are yeah. to the people. So the trucks, the trucks, the trucks are the part, and I'm not going to give the technical because I don't know this, but the trucks are basically what make the wheels more stiff oh. or more wobbly. And so that's what allows you to sort of have a little bit more flexibility, but it also feels super scary because you no longer feel like the strong stability of the wheels, like kind of going in one direction. Now they can wiggle back and forth. They can wiggle up and down, but it's like if you, like that was what opened up 
like doing a spread eagle for me, all of a sudden I could do it and I couldn't do it before. So now the wheels are all going four different directions. It sounds perfect. It sounds like the best it sounds, idea. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying for me. I, I learned that I actually like to skate with tight trucks because when I put this different part on my skate, they took them off and yeah. on. And I like couldn't even skate anymore because I had no stability. So it's true. Everybody has different truck tightness. And for 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 but for doing like the trick things that you're doing, like you do want tight trucks. Okay, like that's that, why. that makes sense too. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Anita? We're not talking to Anita. The reason why is because you guys, I bought her some roller skates. <laughs> she put them on. I watched her first skates out of them after like how many years? Thirty. Oh, yeah. And at she's least. a pro, so she could skate on nothing. <laughs> On nothing. Be fine. <laughs> on air. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, spent some time skating as a youth, so I just came, it came right back to me, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. So we're going to get into why Amy started roller skating again in a bit, but first, first. let's introduce her. Hey, where do you live? Okay. <laughs> I am in Massachusetts on the South Shore, which is about, you know, like half an hour south of Boston, um, in a little town called Hingham, oh. which is actually new to us. We moved there in the middle of my wife's sickness um, from a tiny little farm town even further south of the city. Did you grow up there? Or are you from somewhere else? I didn't. I grew up in Pittsburgh, oh, really? Pennsylvania. I know. You're a Pennsylvanian yeah. and I, by birthright. I am. Oh. I am. Well, actually, by birthright, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Was that where you were born? I was born in Richmond. I lived there for six months. And then my parents moved in a bunch of places and wound up finally in Pittsburgh. By the time I was like two. So like for all intents and purposes, I'm Pittsburgh. Pit, a Pittsburgher is what we call oh, us. That sounds delicious. Let's make one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a thing, too. Yes. So, Amy, tell us a little bit about your growing up life and what led you to meet your wife. So, where should I mean, where do we like growing up life, blah, 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 blah. Anything fun. What do you want to know about? Well, okay. You obviously like maybe roller skated. So there's that. Uh. Did you? (laughs) I only like like normal kids of the 70s roller skated at the, you know, Ardmore roller rink. We did Friday nights. I was... Okay, I was, I came, used to come in second in the limbo contest, Whoa. but there was an, I know, because uh, I could do a, sh- a side shoot the duck to go what? under the limbo bar and like s- extend myself so that like I was almost flat with my leg going out one direction and my head going the other direction. That was cool. Um, but the other girl who used to always beat me, she could go down in a flat straddle, holding her ankles and like flattening herself on the floor. She would beat me every time. I've seen those videos and they don't look like human. nuts. Yeah. It's totally nuts. I can't even touch my toes, you guys. <laughs> that would be amazing if there was something that you could not do, Anita. I don't believe that. It. I bet you I can't, could do I can't it. touch my toes. <laughs> so tell us how, let's talk about how you met your wife. I love my meeting story of how I met my wife. So I met my wife. Um, I was living in New York City. I loved living in New York City. I was super happy. I was um, I was going to graduate school um, as a music therapist. And I was really happily single and having like lots of dates. And I wasn't looking for anything. And I came to Boston because my best friend, who was also my first girlfriend when I was 20, her wife was in the hospital with this crazy disease called Guillain-Barre. Oh, I know what that um, is. And she was, yeah, it's, it's so for those who don't know, it's this crazy disease where your white blood cells go 
haywire and they wind up eating your spinal nerve cells or eating away at the myelin sheath and you go from being fine this woman and i had done the aids ride together the boston to new york aids ride we had done it two months prior and then then she's paralyzed uh so it progresses you become paralyzed but it can be reversed so she was actually on the upswing doing better. She was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And I went to go visit them from New York City. And they had this really cute nurse who was super funny and told all these great stories about her travels and her motorcycle. And she had this awesome line that she said, what? I can I can shingle a roof and I can bake a quiche. What more does a girl want? I mean, I'm a, I'm a good catch. And, you know, we were just joking around the whole day. But by the end of the day, I had to go back to, to the city to go back to school. And my heart just kept racing as I was walking past her and like when she was in the break room. And when I was leaving that day, I just felt like I didn't want that to be the last time I saw her. I didn't know why, because she didn't look like like she was just kind of more. I don't know. She just didn't. She was different than most of the women I was attracted to. Um, but I just had my heart racing. And so I went up to the nurse's station and I gave her my card and I was like, listen, if you're ever in New York City, look me up. And she did. So about a week after when my friend was no longer her patient, she called or actually at that point in time, I think she only had my email address because we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. Um, what year was this? And so well, so this was in two. I mean, guys, we had cell phones, but they were like the chunky Nokia kind. So I didn't. Was it like the year 1998, 1999, 2000? It was 2000. Yeah. And so she emailed me and she said, hey, this is your favorite nurse. Your friend is no longer my patient. And so I just thought I'd say hi. I want you to know that when you handed me your card, that was a bright spot in an otherwise crappy day. And uh, so we started chatting and it was just this instant connection. It was awesome. It was easy. And so we started going back and forth between Boston and New York. And that was it. It was really fun. I did not know she was a nurse. We know, we know, you know, a good amount about and tell us her name. So her name is Jay. Um, her full name is Jennifer. And when I met her, I remember thinking, ugh, her name's Jennifer. I don't think I can date a Jennifer. No offense to any of the Jennifers that are out there. But I was like, that is the boring name. Um, and then finally, maybe after a couple of weeks of exchanging emails, she finally signed something J. And I was like, oh, OK, oh, I can do a J. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't J. know J was a nurse. I don't know if I don't know why I didn't know that. But that's really, really interesting. So you guys kind of exchanged emails and then phone calls and you were going back and forth between Boston and New York and then like what changed? It was funny there was a conversation we had a few months into dating when I was trying to describe, tell her that basically this wasn't going to work because I, I, don't, I think maybe there was a little part of me that wasn't ready to settle down but also I just I I thought well we were going for a walk and I was like well these are all the reasons why we can't work I am a vegetarian and I want to raise my kids vegetarian and you're a meat eater and she's like I can raise my kids vegetarian too I don't care about more that. meat for her. I, gave her I gave her a whole list of reasons of like why this wouldn't work and one of them was and and every single one of course she easily defeated and was saying basically you're you're FOS and then one of the ones was well I I love New York and I never want to leave New York and you're settled in Boston and your family is there and Jay said I think everybody should live in New York at some point in time I, I would love to move to New York and I was like, well, darn it, man. I guess I have no excuses and I have to go forward with this. So the plan was always that she was going to move to New York. She started doing some additional training so that she could give it like an additional licensure. And then 9-11 hit. 
And 9-11 changed everything. And I was working as a music therapist in a couple of hospitals, and I was doing all of these uh, very, very deeply emotional services and support work for patients and support work for caregivers. And it was tough to live in New York City at that point in time. Most of my friends had moved out of the city. There were, you know, posters everywhere with people's names on them and faces. And her father lived down in, in, in south of the city where we wound up moving. And he had this wood stove and this vegetable garden and sort of a survivalist kind of campground. And I remember thinking, I want to be close to that if this ever happens again. <laughs> that's that's so, okay. Yeah. So I and, and also we started looking at places in New York City. And of course, it's impossibly expensive to live there. And my rent was going up and so I just started thinking, well, maybe I will move back to Boston. I have a whole, I had lived in Boston before I moved to New York. I had a whole community in Boston of, of my close people. And so one day she was, she was actually taking the test to get the additional certification where she, that she was going to have so that she could get a better job in New York. And when she came out, I said, you know what? I think, I think I actually want to move to Boston. And so we made plans. And so let's see, we met in January and in February of the following year, we were buying a condo together. And then I moved in July of the following year. So we met in 2000, we met in 2001, and then I moved in 2002. And then we had a wedding ceremony in 2003 before it was legal, before any of the, the good rich had gone through. So we found you had out about an good rich. under the table an, wedding. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a commitment ceremony. Uh, but but it is. But and then the following year, we got the licenses and then and then she got pregnant the next year, I think. Yeah. So we kind of did. We have all we have this whole series of like 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. This is like and, a movie. Uh, you need to make a movie of this. It's like, it's so romantic. It's like Boston it was, and New York was, and like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. And you guys were yes. just marching along the timeline, you know, like we just kind of did the meet, yeah. buy a house together or a condo, get married, get married yep. again and have mm -hmm. them have kids. So Amy, tell us about Jay getting pregnant. What was your process? If you're willing to talk about that. Mm -hmm. No, totally fine to talk about it. So it's funny because people often say, well, why Jay? Because if you, if for people who would meet Jay, so she's sort of like the, not that everybody, has, not that all, you know, two women couples are, are masculine and feminine, I think, but she, she comes across as very like tough, but also soft and funny. And she, when she met me, she, she never expected to have children before she met me, but she was open to it. She just thought, well, if, if, if a partner that I meet at some point in time wants them, then I'll have children. And I have always wanted children. I was born to have children. I was born to be a mom. All of my jobs have had to do with children my whole life. Um, I started babysitting when I was 10, I think. And so we decided to have kids and we decided that Jay would get pregnant first because she decided that she did want to try to get pregnant. She was 37 at the time, I think. And so we chose her because she's older and because I was going to law school because then I had made the crazy leap to go for music therapy. <laughs> then I went to be I was a bartender for a while. And then I went and I um, decided to go to law school for some who knows. <laughs> but uh, but. So at first we used um, donor sperm. So we, we had worked with California Cryobank. We used, you know, a donor that we had to pick from a book, which is the weirdest thing in the whole world. You're looking through these catalogs and you have no idea if they're lying. You get to see their baby pictures. And you get to hear little stories about them. And you think, well, I think this would be good genetic material. I have no idea. It's very bizarre. And you spend a lot of money. <laughs> this reminds me of, do you remember back in the day when you would go and get your hair cut? 
and the yeah. the barber shop or the beauty salon would have like books yeah. of different hairstyles. Like you're like yes. searching through it, and you're like, oh, I like that mohawky red looking thing, and you're like, I guess we'll go for that. Yeah. That yeah. is hilarious. It, 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 it almost, or but then it also has that kind of, you know, Jetsons kind of feel of like, boop, 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 I think I want to do like this particular kind of feature. Of course, none of it's scientific. You have no idea where you're going to get. You don't know if this person is, you know, a mentally ill, you know, yeah. person. Like, like, like you don't know. I mean, actually, like you don't know anything about who these people are. But we got enough product so that she would try to get pregnant. And actually, she got, we used a doctor's office for that time. And she did get pregnant and she had a couple of miscarriages the last one of which was actually pretty far along she was she was a couple of months in and it was really really devastating yeah so then we took a break for a while and then i this might be more information than you guys were looking no for. we want but, all um, of it <laughs> yeah you want but uh so we took a break for a while to reassess what the heck we wanted and then we were sitting there having dinner with our best friend who had been our real estate agent it does read like a movie doesn't i'm it, telling it really you it does so are we had become best friends with the guy who had sold us our house who was this awesome gay man christopher and he lived down the street from us and we would have dinner with him all the time and he and jay would have dinner together when i was in law school and we started we had originally dismissed him as an option because we just thought there would be no way that he could let go of the idea of being a parent and or maybe it would be too intimate for him or he, his mom would be too conflicted about it. But we just decided, well, we have to ask. Maybe it's maybe it's good to ask. Because we started thinking, well, maybe is there anybody else in our life? Oh, that's a funny thing. When you start deciding that you're going to have children if you're in a, a gay relationship, all of the weird men in your life are all like, hey, Ew, I'm going to, if you need me to help you out. No. I, can help you out. I was working at the bar. I was actually working at, I was working at the bar at that point in time. And I had so many people approach me and like, I'll help you out. <laughs> so creepy. Uh, so, and even, and then, and then of course, if you say, okay, let's talk about it. Then they're like, oh, no, no I'm just, I, I don't really want to do that. But anyway, that's an aside. So we sat down, we had, I actually had Christopher come over to dinner. Jay was like, I don't want to be part of this conversation. I'm too nervous about it. She was at work. Um, and I asked him and he thought about it overnight and we, he decided he wanted to and went actually to a mediator and we talked through all of the different aspects of what this would involve from naming the child to how does it feel to have, you know, who, what they're calling you, what they're calling your mom. We, we did the legal release of parentage. We went through all the different legal steps, but we also had this really beautiful meeting with this mediator to talk through the emotional aspects of what it meant to create this child with his genetic material. It's a wonderful part of the process. Then he and Jay, so the, uh, <laughs> this is the funny part too. So then, then we now have this known donor. So to get pregnant, we decided we were going to try it home with him. Oh, and under the table, <laughs> basically he would go in the back room or he would do his thing at his house. And then he would come over with a little specimen oh, cup oh and hand it through the window. <laughs> Did you get a turkey <laughs> baster? Like we were doing a drug deal. It's, oh, so this is the funny thing. There's not enough for a turkey baster. So we've got a little 5cc syringe. But yes, just a regular old 5cc syringe <sighs> in the house, legs up. And she got pregnant on the third try of that. And that was our first child. Oh, my wow. goodness. This is so exciting. It was. It's so it's wild. It's really wild. It seems very like cloak and dagger, too. If we're like passing, <laughs> passing sperm through the it, window. Uh, 
Uh, it, it felt like a drug deal, particularly in our neighborhood at that point in time. It really felt like a drug deal. <laughs> this is going to be the best movie. Does he still have, did he have any sort of a relationship with your child? Or he was it like... loves, yep. And he's, and so, and he is, is parent to the child. So then this, our second child I gave birth to, we did the same process, except I tracked, I knew that I was always a very fertile person through my whole life. And sure enough, I got pregnant on the first try. Wow. And uh, at 36 or whatever. So, but he, so, so he's, he is biological father for both of our children and he adores them. They adore him. He has always had a close relationship with them. He lives about an hour away, so we don't see him as much anymore physically, but he has a really, really tight relationship with both of them. I feel like you guys are like the perfect subjects for a science, like a long-term <laughs> science experiment too, though, because like you have different moms, same dad, and you can like watch them and like, do you know, like... nature versus nurture, oh, yeah. all well, of that kind of stuff. So like the fascinating thing. So our daughter that Jay had, she sleeps the exact same way as Jay. Mm-hmm. Like they both sleep like stones thrashing all over the place and they wake up grumpy and <laughs> like slobbery. And my son and I, who I gave birth to, we both sleep like we tuck like the corner of our bed sheet in and next to us. We sleep in a single position. We sleep in the, almost the same position the whole night and we wake up like the birds are singing, like a movie. Like, it's just crazy. I, just little things like that. So very, there's, there's wild things that you can watch nature and nurture um, with both of them. Amy, I happen to know yes. that your daughter just got her driver's license. And I just want to look you in the eyes and congratulate you for teaching your daughter to drive. We're going through that right now. It's semi-terrifying. The end. It is. But can I say this is so this goes back to the dead wife. So one of the things that I was dreading when we knew that Jay was going to die and I yelled at her about this, I said, I can't believe you're going to die because you are leaving me to teach our daughter how to drive. And I am not the driver. I rolled over a curve during my driver's (laughs) test. Nobody wants to drive to me. My daughter just recently told me that all of her friends feel like they're taking their own lives in their hands when they drive with me. I did not know I was that bad. But the first day I took my daughter out for her first drive after she got her permit, she stumbled for like a second when she first put in it to drive because she didn't know the parking brake was on. And then she just drove. And it was like she had been driving her whole life. And I felt like Jay infused herself into my daughter because Jay was a driver. Jay always drove. She was really good driver, comfortable driver. She rode a motorcycle. Um, she, she just did stuff like she, that. That's Jay's personality. She just did stuff. And I, I was like, you know, the angels kind of sang around me. And I feel like she just, she drove as though she had been driving her whole life on her fourth day of driving. She drove back from New Hampshire, from the, like from New Hampshire to wow. Massachusetts on the highway. Whoa. No issue. What? I know she's just, Jeez. she's good. That's but amazing. I really, I really credit my, I really credit Jay with it. So your daughter's so. 16 right now and, or 15, yep. 16? She's 16, 16, no, 16. And, yeah. She'll be 17 okay. this summer. And how old is your son? He is 14. Okay. So they're two years apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yep. some really fun ages. ages. Really this fun. This movie is going they're, along they're... so great. I like, I love <laughs> every bit of it. And I know we're going to get to a part that we hate. So what happened? What happened? <gasps> Go. Oh, it was the worst. So I started noticing something was wrong with her when we went to New York in May 
and we climbed to the top of the Statue of Liberty. And neither of us were in great shape, but we weren't in horrible shape. And we were going to the top of the crown and she's getting pale. And I'm saying, this is, something's wrong. I don't know what this is. So that's in May. Then we go on the trip of our lives. We rent a pop-up vintage VW camper van to go cross country and go to all of the national parks. And while we are on this trip, we go to this Mexican restaurant, which is our kid's favorite food and Jay's favorite food. And she's not hungry. She can't keep anything down. And she winds up throwing up her whole meal. And then for the rest of the trip, she's having all of these symptoms. And a little voice in my head went, she has stomach cancer. And I went, that's crazy. That's just your neurotic, you know, leap to the worst possible scenario self, which probably it was mm-hmm. as opposed to like any kind of intuition. It probably, but it's a weird thing to leap it's to. Specific. It's specific. It's, it's very specific. But we started joking. <laughs> we, we started joking about what would happen if she had cancer while we were sitting there looking at the stars. Um, she came back home, got all these tests. And the thing about stomach cancer, it's notorious for hiding and for being difficult to diagnose because she was young. She's 51. People, it was an old person's disease. And um, it took about three months until she finally got three or four months before she finally got diagnosed. And so that's what it was. September 20th. The story is that here's here's another good story. This is part of the movie. It was our anniversary. And we woke up and we went out to the main room. Our bedroom is right off. Our bedroom at that point in time was right off of the, this great room that had the kitchen and the dining area. And our kids were sitting there like Cheshire cats. They had woken up in the middle of the night, baked vegan gluten-free cupcakes Aww. for me, for, for both of us, without waking us up, even though our bedroom was right off of the kitchen. And then we woke up to them having cupcakes for us on our anniversary. So that was amazing start of the day. And then we were having dinner and Jay got a call and went in the back room and didn't come back. And I knew it was the doctor and didn't come back. And I knew. And I went into the back room and she was just sobbing. And I knew. So So we got the news on our anniversary. Oh, my gosh. What stage was her cancer when she was finally diagnosed? We think they thought it was probably stage three, but they they, they can't know for sure. Okay. Um, so they, they thought either stage two or stage three based upon what they could see in the imaging. But again, her kind of cancer doesn't really show up well in imaging. So it may have been farther along. And then we think that it also probably progressed during the time when she did the first. So in stomach cancer protocol at that point in time, you did the first round of chemo. Then you have surgery to take out your stomach and then you have more chemo. Um, by the time they took out her stomach, it had progressed to basically like stage 3B. It had gone almost to the edge of her stomach. So we knew that she was at risk for recurrence, but we chose not to believe that. So she had her stomach out. She was in a horrible state for a while. And then she had this beautiful spring awakening. She got her stomach out in January, beautiful spring awakening in April. She started to do better. She went back to work by July and she was doing great. And we had a whole year of her doing really well. And where we thought, oh my God, could we be in the clear? Like, could this be, we just chose to believe that she was going to be fine. We were doing naturopathic stuff. She was seeing an herbalist. She was really, really healthy, walking a ton. And then by again, July of that following year, she just started looking wrong again. And, uh, and in August, I got the call. She'd gone to, she'd gone for her scan. We weren't thinking anything about it. And she got the call saying with her in tears saying, I'm having a recurrence. And at Mm -hmm. that point in time, I knew because when you have a recurrence of your stomach cancer, it's, 
it's just, it's not good. Although she did manage to do treatment for another whole year and half actually she did treatment and she was doing better. Like we thought maybe she would just be sort of this long-term in treatment person. And then it was a really, really quick decline. Can we talk about how life is when you're going through cancer treatment and you're just trying to survive? I mean, it just seems like it's a really traumatic and stressful existence for the hope of a longer existence. Like, do you feel like you were on a bungee cord getting yanked around and like, it sounds... The bungee cord of doom? Yeah. It was like you had, so I, I like to think of it is, so you know how we always talk about how like everything is an and in widowhood, right? Everything rests on these, these, these conflicting realities. So we knew that our time was limited and we had to hold on to the hope. And so you have to live in this anticipatory grief, knowing that, that you're preparing for her to die at some point in time, while you also have to keep living and just engaging in your life. And so it, it be, like hope almost becomes toxic sometimes in that situation. But yeah, but it's agony. There were times when I felt like it was like my skin was getting peeled off little by little, like that I was just having to just stay present, even though, you know, or that I knew that I was basically being taken down this path of, of doom, but I had to just stay there all the time and just stick with it. How old were your kids when she was diagnosed? My daughter was 12 and my son was 10. Mm. They were and what conversations did you have with them about what was going on? We saw a therapist actually before we talked to them to kind of get some ideas for language. And we decided to be really clear and direct with them. And so we said, so this is a terrible conversation to have. And, you know, mommy has cancer. This is the kind of cancer that it is. And we don't know what's going to happen. We, you know, the doctors tell us that, that she can take, do this treatment and that there's a good chance that she's going to get better. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to focus on. And we're going to keep living our lives. And we're going to, she's going to get, you know, this is the, the effect that this, the treatment may have on her. And, but we also don't know exactly what to expect. And we just kind of gave them space to ask any questions that they had and what do you want to do? And it was a pretty quick conversation. They didn't really want to stick in that space for very long. They were like, okay, are we done? So now can we go do something else? And they didn't process it a lot, but then, you know, it, it would come out in different chunks in weeks later where they would have me lay down and sleep with them. My, I remember my son crying and saying, why does this have to happen to our family? Right. That's not what all of our kids always like. Why is this our family? Yeah. Um, and there's no answer to that. Oh, yeah. It's just it's it's random. It's just really, really, really crappy luck because this is nothing that any of us have done. And it's not genetic based, the kind of cancer that Jay had. So when so, did she die? So she died in January of 2021. She died in 2021. So we got through the pandemic. We was, I'm one of the few people that I think loved the shutdown because you were talking Anita, about, you know, what was that like? So one of the crazy things is that you're trying to go through your whole life while your wife has cancer and you're taking her to treatment and you're also parenting and you want your children to have a full life and do all the things that make their childhood fun. So I'm running everywhere. I'm trying to work at the same time. So I was managing my, my law practice at that point in time and trying to do that while also taking care of her. And what happened that was beautiful during COVID was that 
the world shut down and nobody had any expectations of me anymore. So I could just be with my kids and be with my wife and take care of her and take her to treatment. And the world got really, really quiet and it was wonderful. Yeah. And I felt like I could breathe for the first time in years. It removed some of those extracurricular things and it wasn't even a choice anymore. So it's like, oh, well, we can't do that anyway. So I'm not going to sign you up for soccer and lacrosse and swimming and ballet and piano lessons. And I didn't have to drive anywhere. It was wonderful. Mm. So, yeah, so she she was doing great that summer. And then she got in she got into a clinical trial that we thought might be the thing that actually cures her. It was this really promising clinical trial. We didn't know if the insurance was gonna actually cover it. We were gonna put our entire life savings into it. And I'm so glad that we didn't because it did not work. Oh. <laughs> and that would have re- that would have been like insult to injury yeah. if I had lost my entire life savings oh. and like all of our retirement, we were gonna put into it. And my parents were gonna contribute. It was been awful, but um, it, it did not work. And she went downhill really, really fast. And finally, she just couldn't do any more treatment. And and the treatment was no longer going to be effective. And it was the worst possible moment I can imagine when, when she looks at me and, and we, we know that this is the end of game. Um, and she also, it was, it was terrible. That was during COVID also. And she didn't want to be doing more treatment that she knew was not going to be effective during COVID and she could wind up in the hospital dying by herself, which so much of our, so many of our widows have had to deal with. Um, so she came home on hospice and she, we like curated this really, what I consider to be a really beautiful death experience. I liken it to the time after your baby is born when the world also goes quiet and you're exhausted. And I had her, a mon- I had a monitor where I was watching her on the monitor because she started to get progressively more disconnected from reality and would try to get up when she didn't have the strength to get up. Um, so if I had to go to the bathroom or we, somebody was with her all the time, but if for some reason I had to leave, I had a monitor and it, I had that exhaustion that I remember feeling when the babies were little when they, when they were brand new. So, so it kind of was a bookend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were you with her when she died and were your kids with her when like she died? in the room? And yeah, the kids were not in the room. Theo did not, uh, my, my son did not want to be there. My daughter did initially, and she came down the night before because I, because Jay was having all of these weird vocalizations that I had read about sort of start to happen as people are making the final transition. So the cool part of the death experience was we have a dear friend who is this amazingly intuitive Reiki practitioner. And she had been doing Reiki work with Jay the whole time that she had been sick the second time. And she did a reading and a treatment that morning and it was this really profound experience because she said that she felt Jay's spirit taking off. She felt like she had fire, like little like rocket boots on. And we knew that Jay was getting really, really close at that point in time because she had stopped responding. She, and she had her eyes closed for the most part, but that she felt super free and she wanted, she just said that she was rocking and rolling and trying to remember, she'd mentioned the, the song rocket man. And while Jay was in hot, when Jay was in the hospice period, I had this really beautiful, soft music playing uh, this, this uh, Estonian musician called Arvo Part. I don't know if you know who he is, Melanie, but it's a beautiful piece of music um, that for me feels like it's about the simplicity 
of life. And it's a very spiritual piece. I had a kind of playing on loop, essential oils. And then all of a sudden that morning I realized, oh my gosh, I need to change up the playlist. I need to do something different. So I made this crazy playlist of like all of our favorite songs, our wedding songs. And I started to play that. And she had said when she was knew that she was going to be dying, that she just wanted to feel like she was floating on the ocean. And so I bought all this suntan lotion and I sprayed it all around the room <laughs> instead of the essential oils, like the band de soleil. Yes. And my friend Christopher was so Christopher, the kid's donor was over that and he and I were sitting there yammering on and telling stories about the parties that we used to throw before we had kids and we were laughing about some stuff as we were sitting there holding Jay's hand and this new playlist is playing and we're all breathing and laughing and that was when she took her last breath. It sounds like I mean I know that not everybody has a nice I don't I mean you don't even want to call it a nice death experience I think it is nobody wants to have a death experience but it sounds like it was kind of peaceful and you had some purpose behind it and so that's kind of a nice blessing I guess that you guys got in the in the final final times I feel really I do like of course I don't feel fortunate that my wife died that part stinks I feel fortunate that that we had those weeks together because they were very intimate and sacred. We had some beautiful times with the kids. We had beautiful times with friends. She and I got to share some time together. I got her to write cards to the kids. They're not necessarily that coherent because she was starting <laughs> to lose it at that point. But at least at least there's something that sort of creates that that opportunity. And I and I'm mindful, you know, knowing knowing both of your stories, like people, not everybody gets that. And it's something I'm always really grateful for and feel lucky about having. So then you find yourself a widow and now you're in our club and <laughs> and then the new journey begins. So part two of the movie, yeah. right? Like Right. Right. Let's talk about what that has been like for you. So you find yourself a yeah. widow, you're a fresh mm-hmm. widow at the time. Like what are some of the things that you remember from that time that you were just like, what in the actual is the deal here? So I remember spending a lot of time in my car sobbing. I made a playlist for myself too. So the music piece for me has always been really important, not surprisingly, but um, I made a playlist of all of these songs that kind of gave me the opportunity to tap into those those deep feelings, the the loss, the feelings of the, the bigness of the world, you know, like, you know, Ingrid Michaels. I don't know. For me, it's a lot of like chick music, um, you know, orches- orchestral, like dissonance, stuff like that. Um, you know, singer songwriters. I spent a lot of time on the beach walking. I spent a lot of time just being really quiet and taking a lot of showers. I think a lot of widows spend a lot of time in the shower because that's the one place that we can cry, particularly when we have children and we don't want to be sobbing in front of them. I wanted them to be present with a, you know, a positive grief experience. I had people being amazingly generous with food and I didn't, I didn't have issues with eating like some people have. So it was really lovely. Um, And, but I, I remember one of the pieces that I was thinking about was, okay, well, who am I going to be now? Because I felt frumpy and old and lost a little bit. And like, what was I going to do? And I was like, I have to find my spirit again in all of this. And so that was, that was a piece that I knew that I needed to focus on, not immediately, but kind of pretty soon. And that, that, that was where the roller skates come in. <laughs> 
And, and I mean, it's not that I thought I need to find a new partner, but I knew that that was going to be something that I would do eventually. And I didn't like how I felt in my skin during the time that my wife was sick. And actually, I hadn't liked it for a, a long time, how I was feeling. Um, I mean, Jay and I had an amazing, amazing relationship in so many ways. We were amazing partners. We were frickin' frack. You know, she's tall and thin and, and, and blonde hair and spiky and sassy and snarky. And I'm sort of like the short, curvy, really sensitive, emotional, like artsy one. And so we, we really were yin and yang together. We got different things done in the house. We had a great partnership. And like any other married couple, we had issues. And we had had stuff for, for a while. But I was mindful of, you know, if if I am at some point in time going to have the opportunity to start meeting people, I want to feel sparkly again, like I did when I met Jay. I felt like I, I shined when I met her. I was in such a strong place in my life. And I wanted that back for me, whether it whether it meant meeting somebody new or not. I knew that I wanted to feel like I sparkled again. I love that idea of feeling sparkly and it doesn't mean that you look beautiful no you know it's, it's just, just that you're yeah. interesting and you feel good about yourself so I also think that it's a really common feeling to not feel sparkly in your day-to-day -day life when you're just living your nine to five yeah. or whatever but I do think it's such an interesting thing that when your life explodes you can say I'm going to go find the sparkly. Whereas had things not blown up, maybe you just would have kept on going how it was going forever because you didn't have that like big impetus to change and to find something new. And to, I mean, you, you've changed it up a lot more than just roller skating. Like what else yeah. have you done? That's been a big yeah. change. Yeah. So I, so I also started throwing pottery again, which I had done in my twenties and I, um, I'd wanted to do that during COVID, but no place was open. So I started throwing pottery. I feel like I've been doing other things. I picked up the guitar again, although I did not stick with that as much as I would <laughs> like to. Uh, I thought that that was going to be a piece of it. I can only have so many copies. Can I say this on the yes. air? Um, I, I started pole dancing. Yeah! Yes, you can say that. <laughs> and, and I did wind up starting to date. Um, and I got, you know, I started getting healthy again and cooking a little bit more. And I, I am starting to work my way out of my legal practice and think about the next thing that I'm going to do. So there's, there's different pieces that I'm putting together to find what do I want to be about? Who, who do I want to be in the world? What do I want this next part of my life to look like? And how, and how do I want it to feel? Because you do, you get caught in the motion of this is what my life is. This is what it's supposed to look like. And now I, I can kind of make a conscious choice. And I'm, I'm mindful that I'm fortunate. We, we, took some time and made some plans. And so that I have the resources to take a little bit of time, not forever off, but to kind of be, be thoughtful about what I want to be doing at this point in time in my life to make this transition. Did you and Jay talk about relationships going forward? Did she give you her blessing? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. She knew, she said, she said, aim, I know that you will meet somebody new again and, um, or many people knew. Yeah. We talked about it during those weeks, but we had talked about it a long time before. Um, she said, I think you're going to meet somebody in the hospital. Like, like coming up from the morgue, you would exactly. meet somebody like that kind of, <laughs> she, we joked about it does that sound day. very movie like actually. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's still, yeah. I have a question but, about dating. Has it been scary? Has it been good? Has it been bad? Has it been all of the above? Like, 
as a widow? What's it like? It was crazy. So first there's the whole, like, who am I to go out and am I at all attractive? And then do I like, what do I do? Because now the way that people date is, you know, you do these apps. So I created fake accounts. <laughs> And I practiced because I, so I'm the, I'm the person who looks at a map and plans where I'm going to park when I'm going somewhere new. I look at the menu before I'm going to a restaurant to figure out what I'm going to have. I don't make decisions quickly. That stresses me out. So I need to kind of think about things ahead of time. So I needed to know that I wasn't going to screw things up and swipe on somebody the wrong direction. So I did like a lot of practice times first. <laughs> Sorry to all those people. You're that I might a scammer. Have, um, I love it. She ghosted. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a picture. Even... I didn't have a picture. So like, I didn't. I don't think that I matched with anybody <laughs> at that point in time. But then I finally felt confident enough and ready, and probably earlier than some widows feel. But again, I had been alone for four years with you know Jay being sick for a long time, and we were having challenges before that. So I felt ready to actively start dating um, at about four to four and a half months after Jay died. Was when I put up, you know, when I started putting up a live picture. Did you get any pushback from your kids or friends or family? Yeah, um, not from friends and family. Friends and family have been amazingly supportive of me doing it. There have been some people now that I actually have of me at least starting it because initially it was just I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to meet lots of people. I don't think I'll ever get partnered again. I think I'll just have lovers all over the <laughs> world and I will just be single, perpetually single and just be like this this you know, glamorous person who I'll is go to Mallorca twice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I envisioned for myself. And then I don't know if it was stupid or smart, but um but my very first Tinder match. My very first Tinder match. So I signed up on a Wednesday and on Thursday I matched with this ridiculously hot person. And I had said to the universe, I just want to find somebody to, this is a duck quack. I just want to find somebody to F me and feed me. That's all I want. So those are the two things that I want in life. And just, that's all I need right now. And I, cause I'd had a relationship like that summers before, and it was just this glorious relationship where he was vegan and we just kind of ate and sat and chatted and talked about the universe, but we, neither one of us was serious. And so then I get matched up with this super hot person who turns out to be a chef. Wow. I'm like, okay, thank you. But, but her name is Jennifer. Oh, no. (laughs) This is like the fifth time we've heard this happen. Yes. Right. I know. That's what I said on the podcast that I listened to just recently. The same name. The Jason and Jason. So, and yes, exactly. And so I thought, but I didn't think I just thought I'm just going out on a date anyway. So we started chatting by the Friday. We went on our first date on the Saturday and I was, and I went, I went shit, but, uh, but, but we, so it was just fun at first. And I dated a bunch of other people too. I had awesome. I got really lucky. I got awesome matches and I was feeling sparkly by then. I was feeling confident. I was roller skating. I was potting. I was walking on the beach. I was feeling, I was feeling beautiful again, which I hadn't felt in many, many years. And um, I matched with some really interesting people and had some lovely dates, but things with, with this person just kind of continued. And, and it's still going on. Like I'm, I'm kind of committed to this person at this point in time. And that's where I've got the pushback. So I, I've gotten a little bit of pushback from certain closer friends. And I think it's a combination of their love for Jay and their own grief process and protection of me 
not wanting me to, to rush into something and then get hurt. Uh, and then my, my kids, my son is pretty oblivious. He, I mean, not oblivious, but my son is, he's, mom, this is your life. You can do whatever you want. And he has some feelings around it. But he said, I just, you know, I, it doesn't really affect me, um, even if you get serious. And he likes certain things about them, like they have a really fancy car and he thinks that's kind of cool. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, and they, and they, they, you know, they make steak and chicken and things that I won't cook. So they, you know, it's, it's nice for him in that way. My daughter has had a rough time with it and, and completely understandably where she feels concerned that this person's going to step in and take Jay's place, which we know is, is impossible. And she cognitively knows it's impossible, but emotionally doesn't. And so I've taken it really, really slow in terms of timing of bringing Sam into the house, introducing her to the kids and, you know, kind of all of those pieces are, are going very, very slowly. Wait. Um, wait, what? Yes. Jennifer goes by Sam? Yeah, so I couldn't call her Jennifer. <laughs> okay. That was, that was too weird. It's like, that was a, that's a switch o change o You just, like, assigned her a different name? <laughs> I was trying to initially. I was like, well, can I call you this? She gave me a couple of nicknames that she has. And, I mean, and she's pretty, you know, gendered, non-binary. So, but she had said, well, I've always wanted to take the name Sam. That was my grandfather's name and my, my both my grand, you know, and I've, I've always thought about changing my name, but I never had. You can call me Sam. I went, that works. There you go. I'll try that out. So, but I'm the only person that calls her Sam right now. Everybody else calls her Jen, which is weird. Do you know what it's like for Sam to date a widow? It's compounded for Sam because she also has not had a, like a lot of serious relationships. So she's had sort of one serious relationship, but she brings her own trauma history to the party. Uh, before I met her, she lost everything, including her dog in a house fire. No. Like a year. Yeah. So she's coping with all of all of her, you know, grief too. So we 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 connect in the grief place of understanding bits of that. It's different, obviously. And it's different because my grief, I'm holding both my grief and my children's grief. So it's tricky because I can't be this this joyful newly person in love and like you are the the first and the only person who's ever treated me this way because I have this 20-year history with my wife that part can be really daunting for her and you know I don't want to tell her story but it's those pieces are tricky she has never the piece about Jay it's interesting she has always felt like reverence towards Jay and towards my relationship. And she's always wanted to know things about her. And, you know, there's still pictures of Jay up on my wall, you know, everywhere in my house. So those pieces are comfortable for her. Having the kids and have, you know, the navigating those pieces that are not in some ways unlike, that's the one place where this is not unlike the divorced spouse situation. That the, the, the blending piece is is probably the harder part for her. But... Yeah, she's been able to hold the grief and me telling stories and the crying and, uh, you know, and and I think possibly because I brought in the mindset of so in in there's there's a world of relationships called polyamory where people have multiple, you know, loves at the same time. And I think I've always used that framework for this is that I don't have to not love Jay in order to love Sam. I don't have to not have a wonderful relationship that I still feel like I have with Jay. 
and have all of these other pieces of new relationship. And we can engage all the, any of the feelings of jealousy or any of the feelings of timing. So, so being conscious and about needs, about thoughts, we can hold all of those. I remember when you talked about that in the Widow Wives Club, and, and I thought it was so interesting because I had never put that concept to the dead person situation. And that makes so much sense. It really frees up space because, and also when you use some of the tools that the polyamory world offers for relationships in terms of communication tools, recognizing, you know, what does jealousy mean? Jealousy is an indication that there's some other kind of deeper need that is not being met. And so how do you then dig under and, and talk about some of those other needs and fears and concerns so that you can address those things? Because jealousy in itself isn't actually a real emotion. It's sort of a, like a, a symptom or a signal of something else that's going on. Um, and that we do, we have space to love. We, we have just like we have space to love more than one child. We have space to love people in different ways and that they offer us different things at different times. And there's ways that I get to be in this new relationship in part because it's happening in my 50s. And when you're in your 50s, you just don't give a shit anymore about certain <laughs> things that you gave a shit about when you're in your 20s. And because I'm mature enough and because we have communication styles and we're both on a sort of growth trajectory. Um, and then there's other challenges that you would have never had, the navigation of, of dealing with kids that is hard, really, really hard, really hard because my kids are my, my first priority. They will always be that. I wanna ask you about um, your experience as a widow in the LGBTQ plus sphere mm -hmm. have you ever been treated as less than or as if your grief isn't valid no good i'm, I'm lucky that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. okay i've never felt that i have to sometimes clarify that it's my wife mm -hmm. um and the people go oh 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 oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry you know I, because people tend to feel self-conscious if they've misgendered my spouse no i'm lucky i mean i live in massachusetts so i have it easy i've pretty much forget that the rest of the world isn't Massachusetts most of the time. So <laughs> yeah. I don't really think about that part of my life. I don't, I don't think Good. of myself as having a different experience most of the time. Well, I was just curious yeah. about that because I know that some people have a different experience where it's yeah. kind of like, oh, well, you know, they were just your partner. So, you know, or yeah. if they whatever. only see marriage as man and a woman. And so they don't take yeah. you seriously. So I'm, it makes my heart happy that you have connection and you feel belonging and that you are safe where you live and yeah. in your communities. That's yes. so important. I feel, I wish that for everybody. I have a question about your safety yes. though. Yes. Did you, or did you not fall down roller skating once? <laughs> <laughs> I did. And that was why I stopped roller skating for a little while. I made the I made such a boner beginner move <laughs> where I put my hand straight down behind me when I was slipping backwards. Yeah. It's like rookie, rookie 101. You what are don't you supposed do to that. do? You well, so I so one of the rules when you feel whoa, go low. So you're supposed okay. to squat so that you get your whole body low and then you fall on your tushy, a side part of your tushy that has nice like meaty instead of using like when you have gravity and then you put your your arm out straight you're just, you get a compound fracture of your forearm. It's, I can't remember, my, my, my father called it something. Holly's uh, fracture? My father's a retired orthopedist. And I know it's got another name for it, but he, as soon as I started telling him what I was feeling, he said, 
you do need to go get an x-ray, please. <laughs> so it was a small fracture, but it was, there, was, there was a little bit there. Um, there's nothing they can do about it other than immobilize it. So now I, I, you practice falling a lot, and that probably can sometimes that. help. I would like to hear more about your pottery. Tell us more. I would love to talk about my pottery. And I really wanted, before I had this interview, and maybe I'll be able to get it done before it actually goes live, to have my website up. Ooh with all the pots, but I still, there's still some work to be done on them. But the pottery, so pottery is this beautiful, literally centering experience. You have your hands in the mud. And so physically it's this mindful process where you can kind of tune everything else out. You kind of have to tune everything else out and just be with your breath and be with the thing that is in the moment right in front of you. So it is a, it's a physical manifestation of meditation that I absolutely love. And then literally things are spinning and, and just in front of you in a way that feels kind of mesmerizing. And so during the process, so, 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 so pottery for me just feels like home. Um, stressful sometimes home, but, but home. The other cool thing about pottery is that it's an invitation to be present with inevitable failure and unpredictability. And that like, you never know exactly what the pot is going to look like when you start throwing it and you never know exactly what the glaze is going to do because you subject all these chemicals to the elements and then sometimes it works in the way that you think it's going to work and sometimes it doesn't and so it's a perfect metaphor for what we go through in life um and you know and as a widow we know this like sometimes you have a pot that works and sometimes you don't have a pot that works and and there is no rhyme and reason and, and sometimes you can work really hard at something and you just don't this doesn't work out the same way for you. So for me, it's this beautiful repetition experience that reflects life's truth. I tried to make um, a cat pot one time <laughs> when I went and it didn't look anything like I thought. You were right there. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Plus, we and, just have to say that if you're a widow, then pottery is like required of you. So Patrick Swayze I, can show up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Everybody wants to bring up ghosts. Yes. But can I say that it's so, it disgusts me because I think about them like, who would want to actually go from potting to anything intimate? Because it's, it's, it's so messy. I think about all those places where there's clay now. I don't want to think about that. But so. he was a ghost. Oh, no, he wasn't no, no, a ghost no, he wasn't yet. A ghost oh, he was alive. No, oh, I know that's, that's yeah. one of those things people think if, if he was a ghost, it would be completely sexy. But he was not a ghost yet. Okay. So, but the other cool thing that I was, so the other cool thing that has happened for me in pottery is that I feel that I've been able to now connect some of my grief work. So I spent all this time, I said, working on like walking on the beach and being present with the tide and present with the sand and with pottery, again, being present with impermanence and inevitable and sort of unpredictability. But while I was throwing, I kept thinking, you know, I would really love to be have like incorporate Jay's ashes here. And I know for some, that's a oh. horrifying idea. But for me, I just felt like, you know, I have my hands around these warm vessels. I would love, I wonder if there's some way. And so I came up with this concept um, that I think will eventually become something that I can offer to widows, these grief pots, where the pot has this portion where that is remains unglazed and rough. And people can either, I can either adhere sand from Nantasket Beach, where I did so much of my grief work, or ashes from either a person or a pet. And so someone can sit there and hold these mugs and then be present with 
the rough place and be present with what's missing, but also what's present and be like, have that energy with them. Um, and it's kind of, I, I'm excited about it because it feels, it feels like I get to be, I get to, I just have to be present with the grief in a way that also feels really creative and an offering that might be really comforting to people. That that's so. We'll see. so cool. I haven't finished one yet. I haven't finished one yet, but I'm, but it's, it's in process. And so if it, winds up coming to fruition, you guys will be the first who know about it. Tell everyone. That is so cool. (laughs) I think that would be a really, a really nice thing that could help a lot of people. Amy, we love you so much. We could talk to you all day. You have contributed so much to the Widow Wives Club and helped a lot of people in there. I mean, okay, maybe I'm just like a stalker, but when you started talking about pottery, that's when I decided to start going and doing pottery and I went with like Autumn and Brittany and Missy and um, Kirsten and we did it as a widow activity and I wouldn't have even have thought about it if you hadn't have talked about it in the Widow Wives Club and then roller skating same thing so whatever you're doing to help yourself find your sparkle <laughs> is bleeding over into like the rest of the world and I know we've never met in person we're on we're like in the mountains and you're over on the East coast yeah. and we just feel this connection with you and you are such a bright spot in the world. So thank you for being you. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I feel the same about you guys, what you guys have brought and given and, and the space that you've created to have so many amazing people be able to support each other in these really thoughtful and loving and fun and sassy and snarky ways. <sighs> like when I tell people about this group, I'm like, no, this is like real people. This is not soft focus. <laughs> this is the real deal of, of, care and love and support so thank you both so much and humor hugs amy big big virtual hugs amy amy Amina's gonna be scared (laughs) to ask you this question oh no i know you (laughs) do you eat cheese and if so (laughs) what is your favorite cheese although you are vegan well i'm not really vegan so i am i have lots of food sensitivities i don't really eat i don't really like meat I can't eat dairy as much as I would like to because my body doesn't like it. Yeah. I love cheese. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. And I get so sick when yeah. I eat it. So it's a toss up for me between this um, amazing uh, truffle Gouda or Mimolette cheese is one of my favorite mm. cheeses, which is this really beautiful, bright, deep, dark orange cheese. I don't know actually any of the I used to know all about cheese when I worked in fine dining and I don't know about it anymore, but I could eat cheese all day long. So that would be my your favorite like, cheese is imaginary cheese because you can't my, eat it. Uh, or it makes you it. suffer. So sad. So That's rude, sad. but we accept yes. your answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. We hope everybody else has been enlightened and inspired by listening to Amy just like we have. Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club. Amy is in there and you can interact with her. It's on Facebook. It's a private group. Make sure you answer all the questions and don't yell at us for asking for proof that you're a widow. We're trying to keep you safe. And if you cannot find the group, you can get the Widow We Do Now app from any app store. It's free and you can join the Widow Wives Club from there. And if you want to keep the podcast going, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. Or Tim Tams to send us to Australia. It's buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. Also, also in the app. 
And until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Amy. We're two young widows and a widow who found her sparkle. And we're all just trying to figure out widow. We do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.